once a time, like all things do. Father, be close. I'm going to Berlin, I'll leave. I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me. I fuss with my hair, and I find blood fumes. I can tell you multitudes. It still probably will be sort of a disaster in sound, as I'm sure everyone listening can already hear, because we're recording on an iPad connected to like a $30 USB mic that is just recording both yeah, of our audio. Yeah, so. we're uh, not in the um, the main studio of the Abernathy building. We're, we're in the basement of the Abernathy building. We're having an impromptu nightfly session, in fact. Yeah, we're... Uh, let's just cut to the chase. We're in New York City, the Big Apple... The home of Humphrey Bogart. Doug Ewell, apparently. Is that what he said? Who knows? And Someone unexpected, right? We'll get it. Al Capone. And Al Capone. We just saw uh, Bob Dylan play live <laughs> at the Beacon Theater. Live in show and concert. In show and concert. Uh, was it everything we could have possibly hoped it would have been? That's why we're recording. That's what we're here to discuss. Well, do we have any... Preemptive uh, conversation. Any uh, small talk to get to, or should we just uh, should we just take a spin through the rough and rowdy ways tour? Uh, I think uh, we should just uh, let's just talk. Let's it doesn't really matter what. Like, this is a free form. This is a different kind of episode. So yeah, we're we gonna be all over the place. It doesn't matter when we blow the harmonica. It's just uh, well, it was it has been blown. So blow it again. No harp tonight. No, no harp from Bob. No, not a single peep off of the harmonica. Ray had said, I thought Ray had said when uh, he was on the show a couple weeks ago that that Bob was blowing on the harp at one point when he went to see him. But maybe, maybe the set list changed. I guess the set list did change because he went to the early shows. Yeah. So, who can say? Initial uh, thoughts. It was like what off right off the top it. of the loved hat. It. Loved it. You loved it. Loved it. You were clapping in a way where it wasn't about how much you were clapping. You were doing fluttering, a lot of claps. Uh-huh. You your style of clapping is penetrating. I do do loud. Yes, I do do forceful, pretty robust kind of clap. Each clap is suffused with so much meaning that the person in front of you probably felt it rattle their. Sternum. That's what they come to the, the live shows for, is the, the environment of the show and the performers, but also of their fellow audience members, who were actually, I mean, just to kind of prattle on about things that weren't actually Bob performing at the beginning. Just uh, the experience. Here. Let's just talk about what it was like. Yeah. So it, um, you know, the, they've got a pretty harsh rule. No photos, no videos. We understand why Bob has that kind of rule in place. Um, the people that are left to administer the rule from the folks at the venue, you know, maybe not the best element of things. A lot of flashing lights. It was like the 
Gestapo coming around, like literally, it was like children of men, like people shining a flashlight in your face, going like, you need to stop now. Like it felt like the police, it felt like a police state. They were out to get you. And um, so we didn't even have any problem. I felt like the entire time people were getting up, sitting down, moving around, turning their flashlights on, getting the the guards to flash their flashlights for some other reason. I got a flash at one point because I was trying to just keep track of the set. I wasn't even taking pictures. I was just keeping track of the set list. In your lap, trying to very quietly, like brightness all the way down, keep keep track of the set list, which, by the way, set list, same as it's uh, been. Same as it's been for the last last, seven-ish shows, basically, since he he started playing Grain of Sand. It seems to be pretty consistent. That part of the experience wasn't wasn't great, but that has nothing to do with anybody, really. Of course not. No, it was at the beautiful Beacon Theater uh, in, uh, in New York City on the Upper West Side. Looks very good. Looks very good. There's some nice, uh, you know, paintings on the walls. Some nice, uh, well, you said it looked like shit. Yeah, but... I was kidding. That's just a joke that I like. <laughs> when something looks nice. I mean, it was, um, it, it is kind of gaudy, you know, in this, in a... Yeah, but a gaudy in like the fabulous movie yeah, palace. Yeah, fa- it's got that style. fabulous movie palace feeling. That's nice. Uh, you loved it right off the bat. I loved it. I have more complex feelings about the whole show uh, of... But I get to go tomorrow night, so that changes everything for me. Like I don't, I don't have to love this one, right? Because you get to love the one that only you get to go to. But there's definitely things I loved about it. I, I, I mean, I, do you want to go through the whole set list? Yeah, I've got it right here, uh, and we can. I guess we can just go through song by song, like we do a normal episode. But uh, I mean, just very simply, you know, return to live performance by eighty-year-old Bob Dylan after two years off in the midst of a pandemic that is still ongoing. It's great. It's All those things considered, yeah. like I could not be happier. And 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 having taken this journey uh, over the last eighteen months with this uh, extremely stupid podcast, uh, made it all the more meaningful to me. I I'd seen Bob for the first. This is the second time I ever saw him. Uh, tonight, uh, I saw him for the first time three years ago at the Beacon as well. Um, I was up in the Loge that night, uh, and um, up in the Loge. Up in that's the Loge. Where, that's where I'm seeing uh, the show from tomorrow. That's for what, those who don't know the Loge. That's a vantage. Point. That's L O G E Loge. Like Robert Loge. That's part of the theater. <laughs> Robert Loge is spelled differently. <laughs> Two G's uh, in Loja. Um, anyway, it, you know, just like the experience of having gone to that show versus the experience of having gone to this show, whether or not the quality of this show was up to the quality of, of the 18 tour, um, you know, just, it, it, it hit me so much harder and so much firmer, like square in the chest, um, being there, being there with you, being there with everyone, uh, after again, this, uh, very long kind of, uh, last couple of years that we've been through, um, I don't know, it's, I, I might, I might be a little too subjective, a little too a little weepy and emotional to have very firm, objective thoughts on everything. But. I, I think knowing that I'm going twice really, like, changed that for me, mm-hmm. just because, and, and it, but in a lot of ways, it changed, there's, I don't know, there's an interesting experience of this, uh, the, my perspective of it feels interesting to me, uh, just to ponder the fact that, like, yes, we have Bob Dylan back. <laughs> We've got Bob Dylan, he's returned, and with that is is partly, like, you get imperfect Bob Dylan back, sure. you know? And so, like, there, there is a lot of coming to this with all the, 
charged up static electricity of expectation mm -hmm. and then kind of realizing that as you see this show like it's uh it's not like every every moment is a slam dunk it's full of dynamic shifts and mood changes and um moments that are a little hairier moments that are a little bit uh n that go moments that inspire you in ways that you didn't expect mm -hmm. and so uh that's live music that's, for that's you. live music baby and that's bob dylan uh making that that's i think how you have to approach this and i think that what made me feel a little strange is just sensing the kind of energy of the crowd being so all over the place uh, so I felt like there's a sort of feeling of the expectations that everyone brings in the air and, and like the weird mix of being in a crowd of, of people who are, you know, subject to the pageantry and all that of it. Who might, and so that that did change my opinion or not my opinion, but my feeling about like what is going on on the stage. Because I'm an empath, Ian. Of course. You know, I, I feel what so much more than the average person. I feel what other people feel, and I can't help it. Wow, I can't. I can't imagine what that's like. It's not not an experience that I've ever had myself. I'm an empathic man, and that must be a big burden for you to take on. It's one of the hardest things. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean there is something to that, right? Like of people, people's uh, uh, vibe rubbing off on you uh, in a live music setting. I sure. think that that that's what you call. The energy in the room. Absolutely. And tonight, it was a little uh, mixed. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, like, to an extent, I think everyone's just sort of, like, figuring out how to, like, be out in the world again, and be in, like, a, you know, a live environment around other people. Um, so that kind of uh, element of weird energy thing, like, makes sense. Um, but, um, yeah. It didn't I, bother you. No, I, you know, and maybe it's because, of, like, a, like you said, like, you get another show and I only get, I only get this one show. I have to be a, a miser and, uh, enjoy, enjoy the one, the one experience that I get. Um, but, uh, I mean, it seems like the folks around, like, were generally, I don't know, I guess it's, it is always kind of weird to see the people that show up to a Bob show, like... There are. There was like the guy we saw when we were looking down before the show started. He was wearing that like straw hat, and then he had the eye logo T-shirt, and he had the big beard, and like you could tell this guy, he's he knows what he's in for. But like there were many other people there that probably did not know what they were in for, at least when it came to like the set list choices. Yeah, there's probably people who were baffled that blown in the wind didn't uh, happen or occur. No blown in the wind, unfortunately. What are you looking at on that iPad there? I'm just trying to get the set list up, which I had on my phone, uh, and do not have on my iPad now. Uh, but we do know that it began with, uh, there it is, Washing the River Flow. Washing the River. Washing, watching the River Flow. Watching. We're not washing. We're watching the River Flow. Uh, that, that's nice. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Good song. Maybe the best way to do this is just to talk about highlights and things that bothered us with, or if anything, but rather than, because everyone knows the set list, we put the set list down 
Well, we could put, I mean, we can use, I, I, it, I, it's easy for me at least to just look at the songs and remember what, what happened. So, Watching the Overflow, most likely You Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine. First two songs. Yeah. Older songs, right? Well, stay off the bat, everyone listening probably already knows, but he's playing eight rough and rowdy songs. Um, and he, he has, you know, it was the same eight again. No Rubicon and no Murder Most Foul, but everything else was on there. Um... The older songs, which we started with, Watching the River Flow, and Most Likely You Go Your Way and I Go Mine, I, I guess maybe this was like kind of the thought I had for all of the older songs that he ended up selecting, but like, I don't know, it, it seemed to me like he deliberately chose older songs, older catalog songs that were like kind of, kind of light and like, like, not, well, that, not unserious necessarily, but just like sort of like fluffy, 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 breezy, like easy, um, deliberately so. I think in order to refocus, or not refocus, but in order to sharpen the focus uh, and the contrast with the, the newer stuff. The newer stuff. Exactly. I felt the same way, and I, I felt like the tonight, what shone most brightly for me was actually the more somber newer songs mm -hmm. I thought that's really where it was at and so it took me um, a bit of time to readjust and just understand that for me the energy was squarely on those types of on that type of material that's like where the center of gravity of the show was for me like my favorite moments were uh, I think two two songs that surprised me for how strongly they hit and uh not some not too there were songs that on on rough and rowdy that i didn't really feel were my like go-to's mm -hmm. and that is uh black rider mm -hmm. and uh mother of muses, mother of muses yeah. i think both those songs really were the best moments of the entire show by far to me uh, as good as a lot of the bluesy stuff was, I mean, I really, it's my first time ever seeing um, or even listening to a recording of like the slowed down bluesy version of uh, early Roman Kings, which has a lot going for it. Um, and, but it took, it takes a while, I think, for one to get into that song. Um, you do miss, I, I miss at least, a little bit of that really fun and infectious, you know, Tempest uh, guitar, like, you know, literally the most straightforward shot of blues that you can possibly imagine. Yeah, whereas mm. they really do like a soulful, dirty old blues right. for this version. But I, I feel like Early Roman Kings is a great example of this, but it's a song that really demands for your full enjoyment that you you meet it halfway with your own imagination. It's a song that is full of imagery that, um, I don't know, if you're not paying attention to the imagery, if you're not following along, it'll be just like boring in one ear, out the other. Right. This is a blues number. Whereas like that, that is not what it is. It's actually like a really profound, in a very weird way, right. profound song. Yeah, it can be hard to play live, I think, or hard to have it come off live as much as it does on the record. By the end of this version of it, I was fully on board. Yeah, and I thought it was great. It, it does take a little bit of time and a little patience. I, uh, I don't know, I felt like this is a very subtle show 
in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely doing... Like, it's billed as the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. You know, this is not the never-ending tour, at least, you know, according to Bob. I'm sure everyone's still going to consider this a never-ending tour. Um, to, I think it's something... Some it feels like something different. Well, I mean, he's clearly trying to make it make it seem different uh, from the branding on down, um, as well as the the band members. Um, you know, Tony is, is a holdover, and I think that... I think Ray said that like Bob Britt had played with him in the past at, at one point as well, um, but um, uh, Charlie Drayton on drums, Doug Lancio on guitar, Donnie. Oh no, I think Ray said Donnie Heron had played with him in the past, who does the pedal steel, the accordion, the violin, kind of all of the multi instrumental kind of stuff. Um, anyways, it's a different kind of um, you know he he's clearly trying to like make a break with the past and move forward in a new direction on this. Um, uh, whether or not that's actually the case, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, anyways, the, so first two songs, Watching the River Flow, Most Likely You Go Your Way, just like really fun, really like short, like not exactly the, um, um, Shadow Kingdom, uh, versions but of But kind them. of inspired by so, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw someone on Instructing Ray that actually made a good point about this, like, this almost feels like Bob is touring two albums right now. He's touring Rough and Rowdy, and he's also touring Shadow Kingdom, as if that's yeah. an album, um, which is all old songs, obviously, but this new, you know, kind of different interpretation of all of them. Um, and, um, you know, the, the there's drums, obviously, uh, in the live set, so it's not an exact kind of replica of what he did on Shadow Kingdom, but they're all very much informed of the way that those songs were arranged. Yeah. Um, which works, you know, I, I think it works. Um, it's, I, I don't know where he kind of came up with the, the songs in particular that he's chosen, but it's clear, like, you know, in terms of older catalog choices, but, like, it's clear that he's not, like, he could have played Forever Young. He could have played Watchtower. He could have played Rolling Stone. He could have played Blown in the Wind. He could have played Times Are Changing. And they would None have killed. And they would have killed, absolutely. Because people were like, I'm going to say, I, it's a challenging show, frankly. For so, I can't imagine somebody who wasn't in, who didn't know any of this shit yeah. coming to this and then being like really happy. I think it's and a show designed for people listening to this podcast episode right now. It is. It really <laughs> is. And I, I think that uh, it's a show, I mean, it's interesting to think about the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour as a tour where he's... Um, examining these songs and figuring out what how they work live because in real time that's what's going on right and uh i don't know you get a sense of that i think i saw somewhere that like some on twitter or something that somebody had like, caught a glimpse of uh, charlie drayton the drummer mm -hmm. like outside the venue and mm -hmm. was like hey charlie and, and they're like how like how's it going he was like we'll see you tonight right <laughs> which is like uh interesting well know. yeah i mean i, I think it, that... it, there's just there's a sense of the band not having a total grasp but it, it's so early on it really is yeah they played like 10 shows so far i think uh, and like imagine like coming in and being a new member of bob dylan's fucking band yeah well, like straight up like brand new member. brand new member of bob dylan's band brand new 80 songs. year old bob dylan Brand new songs. Tony is still there as the band leader, so he's seen everyone over the last 30 years between him and Bob, the two of them, and you're just like, you're expected to come in and just like not miss a beat and like completely fill in. It's It's got to be like a cha challenging kind of experience. And Dylan himself, I mean, we should just mention, missed some beats because like there are times when off and on it seems in these recent shows, 
he has a, a sort of f- fumbled his way through lyrics at times. Right. Yeah. Got mixed up, confused at, about where his song starts and ends. Right. Yeah. And he he missed a few tonight. Versus, For me, on uh, I noticed on um, I've made up my mind, which was sort of a well, it's because like it's it's, it's a song that means so much to you as as it does to, to, to many. Um, you said you noticed a couple other areas that he flubbed on. I couldn't say exactly where and when, but I definitely felt like oh, that's like the the wrong time for that verse to come in. I see. Or there were just a couple times where a line was repeated, sure. and it it was interesting to see how Dylan like worked around that because there were times when it seemed like he it was like I'm not gonna fuck it up this bad like right. he knew and I think that that just kind of changed the uh, it did put me a, a little on edge you know it, when you see that and it it starts to be like I can't just relax and enjoy this I have to kind of like understand that there this is a little bit of a shaky there's some turbulence sure but that made those moments where that didn't seem the case at all shine really bright to me and it seemed to me like the songs that that worked the best had something in common thematically or where they were more serious like it seemed like that's where his head was at Mm -hmm. where his like heart was at like when you think back to the songs that really worked like um black rider which went off like seamlessly uh, and uh, what else was there? Uh, Mother of Muses worked mm-hmm. great. Um, Got to Serve Somebody worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a sturdy performance from him. But even then, it, it wasn't as sharp as those other two. And I thought another one that worked really well was um, My Own Version of You, which uh, which had a really interesting like escalating quality. Yeah, that was maybe one of my favorites. Um, not to to blow the load too early there but um well, yeah. i don't think we have to go directly in order we can just kind of think we talk don't about no but what, i do i mean i do want we... to talk about some of the other songs like uh i mean the so the first two rough and rowdy songs right are just like they I, are contain the record. Multitudes. I contain multitudes and um false prophet which were both amazing just like pe- people really kind of lost their shit when he came out and started doing i contain multitudes like it, and and you like you could tell the people who were losing their shit there are the people who know what they're in for, are interested in seeing Bob play as much, you know, new material as he possibly can. Um, and that, that included both of us. Um, and just, like, hearing, hearing him, hearing him sing those songs to me, it, it just felt so, felt so impactful. I don't know. Uh, and the, the band, I think, really is in the best shape. Like, the, they, they are at their most effective playing the rough and rowdy material, which has a very different kind of feel and vibe to it than any of the previous catalog songs. I guess Melancholy Mood kind of fits in a little bit more. Melancholy Mood was weird, but it was good. It, I mean, it, it, that felt more of a piece with all the rough and rowdy material than it did with, like, the deep, deep catalog, like, old cuts, um, it, in terms of the vibe and the sound and the energy that the band was putting across, which makes sense, because that's, you know quote-unquote recent for for what Bob has been up to um, in terms of his own projects. Um, But yeah, so False Prophet, I think, uh, has, you know, sort of a little more of a rave-up number, a little more of a blues number, I think was honestly maybe the best of of all the bluesy numbers um, tonight, as far as I was concerned. And and it's not a song that I like like it on the record, you know, it's it's good, um, and it's a lot of fun, but it's never one that I'm like, you know, absolutely, like, over the moon about when I, when I play the album but tonight it was just you know so much fun 
Uh, but, you know, uh, every song that was played tonight was so much fun. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I disagree that every song was so much fun. Well, well. But, uh, I don't know, because fun wasn't how I d- would describe the the best moments. I guess so. I think the best moments actually felt kind of more like profound or sort of spiritually interesting. Like, the, um, I don't know, the, the songs, the, the thing about, like, I can't get, get over, like, how... Mother of Muses is a song that I like, kind of just never, never really struck for me. Like mm. it, I think on the record it 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 drags like in a, in a way that uh, not because it's boring, but because everything else ha- has a bit more of a sense of like playfulness or a sense of um, like uh, a kind of sense of humor that's obvious. Whereas yeah. Mother of Muses. Is a song that firmly does not have. It's not a song where he he's milking his sense of humor or employing that. It is a yeah, and, straightforward, somber kind of tone. Yeah, it's like a reverent, awestruck song, mm-hmm. and I felt like hearing him do this like tonight. It was um, all the words just kind of like rang really clear, and uh, he did seem really locked. He in seemed he really yeah, it. like it just made me feel like uh, tonight maybe he's like. He's not in, like, a fun time mood. Uh, he's stronger at these sort of, like... Like, the two moods, I would say, I noticed the most were, like, a kind of abstract, like, anger or, like, petulant... Or, like, in, engaged sort of petulant attitude. And uh, that could also be, like, funny. And it seemed like, like he knew that, that it was kind of fun in that way. But the other side of that, the other mood that struck the most was kind of this like, um, soulful, uh, low, low center of gravity type of thing Mm -hmm. that, um, on that song, it just like, I felt like now that's like a song that I'll think of a lot more, uh, seriously about just like, well, what is this song about? And it seemed to me like he seemed young. He seemed like young in that song. Like his performance of it made me think. I don't know. There's something like weirdly innocent or youthful about him performing that song because it's like you ask the question, "Who is Bob Dylan like? Look up to who is Bob Dylan? Uh, at like what's what is he, what is somebody at his level?" think of like with reverence and and awe and that song is kind of like an abs him like addressing this abstract figure which it seems to be to me it seems like represents some great uh like the 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 force that has given him the the ability to do these things Mm. and it seems like he's directly addressing this mother of muses i mean it's not that you have to be it a great philosopher to get what he's getting at. Mother Muses sing to me. It's almost so, it's almost so straightforward though, that like it takes seeing it live to really have that, uh, come through about Mm -hmm. like really what he's saying. Right. Yeah. It's, it, uh, I, I'm interested to, uh, kind of go back and, and listen to it again now from the record, because it is one that I, like coming where it does also I think it's like the seventh song on the record so it's come after um, 
Jimmy Reed and Black Rider. It comes right before Rubicon, Key West, and Murder Most Foul. It's one that just kind of like, all right, you know, like let's let's get through this one. Let's get back to the really thrilling stuff. Um, and there's some good lines in there. Obviously, name checking Admiral Zhukov is, is inspired. Um, Wait, is he is he German? Uh, who is that? Russian. Russian. Yeah. The opposite. Yes. Fought the Germans. Yeah, I was wondering about that for yeah. a second. The Zhukov offensive was a big, uh, a big successful uh, Russian counteroffensive against uh, the Germans in World War II. Um, uh, anyways, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to go back and, and listen to that one again now that um, now that we've heard it live and seen kind of how interested in it Bob is and how locked in on the vibe and energy he was. What did you think of? Um, Masterpiece, one of your very favorite Bob songs ever. Uh, I've become a little bit less interested in it since. Wow. Um, since since the, you said it was your no, favorite no, song of all time. Since uh, the version on uh, Shadow Kingdom, Shadow Kingdom um, I feel like that's a song that it's. I don't know. It's it's more interesting to me in its. My favorite version of that is like the demo version. The uh, the bootleg uh, another yeah. self portrait one. Yeah, just because I like that it's so clear, uh, like just straight up delivering this very humble song, mm-hmm. and some I guess my feeling sometimes is like, okay, this is just being this song's being used as filler or like fodder, yeah, for a vibe. Where sometimes I feel like no, this song's better than just like a vibe filler piece, right? And I actually appreciate when it's given a bit more gravitas or a bit more uh, of. Of a focused performance. I see what you mean. So I mean, it's never bad to me. It's right. always good. But um, that is, I feel like lately it's it's kind of been lumped into the like to be alone with you category. However, I'll say like even in to, to be alone with you to jump around a bit, like the the way he ended it was like my immortal wish or something. Immortal and bliss. My my immortal bliss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like this is such a fluff like the epitome of like a fluffy kind of uh cream puff song but that last line just like makes it uh i don't know it's it, it seems like again he's like he his strength right now is on these like awestruck eternal themes where like that's where it feels the truest to me right it makes me feel like he is um Sometimes maybe in those other songs, kind of just gathering a bit of steam to then let go on those songs where he can really uh, give those more uh, weighty, uh, the more weighty material like all all it deserves. Yeah, I I I think that a lot of what he's doing with the older material to me at least is just like kind of trying to have fun. Yeah. Um, like musically, I think because like all the old stuff that he's picked is all like kind of like relatively fast paced as as far as the set goes, um, relatively bluesy, relatively kind of short and and rollicking. At least these interpretations. Um, so like something like Muses, something like Key West, something like um, um, uh, even my own version of you to an extent. Um, those are, you know, those are long songs. Those are kind of weighty musically. They, they're, they're sort of slow and kind of take a while to get where they're going. Um, and Bob, as we know, loves the blues. 
Yeah, well, I like the, great the bluesy moments for sure. Yeah, and so I think I think that um, I mean, not only does the like the back catalog selection refocus the attention on the new material and like make it seem a little more profound, weighty, serious by comparison, but it also allows Bob and the band to just sort of have fun playing music, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that so I think that's what Masterpiece is doing for them right now is just yeah. like it's something they're having. It's fun kind of playing. like one where the the feeling is like. We all know this one's great, so we're going to play it. Right. Like, we're going to put it in, we're going to stick it in there. Right. Um, I just, I guess I would like to see it treated like, this one's great, so we're going to really do it up. Like what you see with um, the interesting treatment of uh, early Roman kings, where a song which, it's the opposite situation, a song which feels like kind of just a a really entertaining uh, goof session right on its record version is now now it's like he's realized that like no this one's actually got something really good to it right and then he like gives it this like extra weight and gravity that sort of forces you to think like oh like the early roman king those shark skin suits yeah and the bow ties and buttons (laughs) and the and like all those (laughs) weird moments of imagery of like that i mean that song like, it's just, I think the immortal thing about that song, the reason it always is so great is, like, the the idea of it is just so ridiculous, and it just keeps piling on ridiculous, contradictory ideas, so that it, it almost gets to a point where you're just like, what is anything <laughs> about? Like, it becomes kind of a, like a, like a huge collage. It's like a... Like, uh, instead of Desolation Row type thing where he's kind of giving you this set and setting and then slow and then like populating it here and there with things you know, he's just like stacking shit on top of shit on right. top of shit. Right. And then you just have to gaze in awe at this like Tower of Babel of like weird <laughs> shit in front of you. Uh, I mean, just early Roman kings wearing anything that is not a toga is crazy. <laughs> and you start to think like, are they, these are just like ghostly, are the, are these ghosts of the early Roman Kings? Is this just like a motorcycle gang? Is it both? All it's, of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. And so that, that takes it just to this other level. And a song like, um, uh, when I paint my masterpiece, kind of similar. But, and I like that on the original, he sort of, in, it has sort of a curiosity about th- those that stacking of images, and you know it's good to hear it played, no doubt. But good to hear it played. Good music. I have to say, it's good music. <laughs> and they played it with a guitar and a, mm-hmm. a fiddle. Was that right? I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah the violin came out a couple times tonight. Um, should be noted, uh, just on a very basic level, a lot of folks. I'm sure everyone is already kind of aware of this, but Bob is only playing the piano. Um, he, uh, and there are a couple songs where he doesn't play the piano, he kind of just, like, lurks around on stage yeah, and sings. Yeah, Melancholy but... Mood, he, Melancholy Mood felt like it was 30 seconds long. Yeah. And well, that's how it was on the record, too. It's yeah. like, it's like two-thirds just the musical intro, and there's, like, maybe two verses, and that's it. But I felt similarly about Melancholy Mood, to, uh, that it, it has so many weird images that I didn't notice in, until this time. Like, uh, 
but love is whimsy and flimsy as lace and uh the crack of doom as i see yeah all i see is grief and gloom till the crack of doom like there's some interestingly uh there's some strong lyrics in there. I think it fits. I think it fits in with a lot of what he's he's going for with his own original material right now. That's like it makes sense that if he's going to pick one cover from the the covers records, that that's the cover. Um, okay, masterpiece. Uh, Black Rider we talked about was great. Well, I want to touch on Black Rider because I felt like the this is another example of this thing, where like that the the line with the cock. The size, the size of, of your, your cock, cock will get, get you nowhere. nowhere. I don't think of that as a, uh, a you know, some people are like, oh, nervous laughter. It's like, a, it's, he said cock. I think that uh, it's a to... testament to the weight of the song that when he sang it tonight, it it actually felt like, uh, oof, like that's that line just feels true and kind of like um, grim. Not yeah. it doesn't feel like it's played for laughs. Yeah, and it, he didn't get many laughs. No, but, which is I think a sign that that song is working because that song is not funny. Right. Uh, it isn't. No. Uh, I mean, I I do think that like there like I I think there is supposed to be some sort of funny element. There's a sense to of that. humor, but in the sense of ding ding ding, here I go mentioning Scott Walker. <laughs> There's you know who used a lot of vulgar it would mix vulgarity like literally just say, he would say stuff like cock or right. anus or balls or whatever in his songs three great words <laughs> he, there's a lot of his songs that kind of go back and forth between like or the later songs especially it, there's a lot of vulgarity mixed in with more literary right wording and it i think it, it works actually just to remind you that this is music about everything. This is music about everything under the sun. And that is the best... That was the great feeling I came away with from this show with. That, like, this is music about the real world. And even I, I feel like I can be as critical as I'm being about this show because it's not... And, you know, nobody's even close in terms of, like... Like, who else has that... Uh, who else can I say that about? Where you go to see a show, it's a lot of it is kind of like, you're not even going to understand any of it. I don't know. It's like have this real faith that this is music of of the world for the world. It's sure. Like earthy, earthly music. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Destroyer, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, Black Rider was really, really good. Um, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight. Good. Good. You know? Yeah. It's kind of a skiffle. Yeah, it, there's a lot. Of, that's the thing, skiffle. Yeah. There's a, quite a bit of a skiffle vibe, uh-huh. which I guess you also get on uh, just the whole Shadow Kingdom thing has yeah. kind of this like skiffle, yeah, like skiffle band angle. Uh, yeah, which is fun. Yeah, it's fun. Um, my own version of you. Yeah, that was great. That was great. That's maybe my one of my favorite songs that played tonight and it like on the record it is one of my favorite songs on the album but like the the live interpretation of it was even further beyond like how how good it is just on a recorded basis um you mentioned earlier like the the way that they like kind of build it up throughout like most of the song you know kind of just sounds like the the way that the song sounds on the record but then at a certain point like two-thirds ish in i forget where exactly lyrically but like 
the the band kind of quiets down. And I think it's just I think it's just Tony plucking on the bass and then Bob singing on top of it and like really enunciating each and every word and then like very slowly but surely the rest of the band comes in and builds even heavier and yeah. higher than they had been initially um, until you know they kind of reach this crescendo at the end um, and uh, and the Frankenstein's monster uh, comes to life. Yeah, the song's so cinematic. It's it's really an incredible song. I, it's like, so the more cool I listen to it, it's just like fucking blows me he away. He just like commits so hard to this like ghoulish, uh, spooky, spooktacular of a song. It's like uh, the song where Bob Dylan is like going up to Dracula's castle of, or or Frankenstein's castle. Did Frankenstein have a castle? Sure, in every film there's a big castle. He's got the lab. The yeah, lab, right? I guess so, yeah. The at, lab is in the castle. The lab sure. in the castle. Well, yeah. At least that's how, that's the the idea that the song has. Of course, yes. We got a lab. Frankenstein's in this, castle. Within this song, there's a lab, there's a castle, there's sure. a spooky tree with a face on it. Absolutely. There surely is a lightning bolt. I think he mentions that. There's a couple big tanks. You got the Godfather uh, Brando. You got the Scarface, Scarface Pacino. Pacino. You, you got the, there. You the tank, the, the robot commando. The robot commando walks out the door. You, surely, somewhere uh, walking about are black cats arched with the, you know, going, meow, and right. there's like pumpkin and and there's like, like a that. crescent moon with like a like a sinister grinning you got face. a crescent moon you got a full moon you got every, that's that's what it's like I, you know it's funny i watched this movie or i started watching the movie tom jones last night uh have you seen that it's sort of a, it has um it's like 1960 that's me shaking my head i've not seen <laughs> the movie tom jones, tom jones with albert finney from 1962 or three uh it's very much like a uh, madcap version of like uh, of uh, Barry Lyndon. It's like a, it's based on a book from the seventeen hundreds, kind of about like a bastard child scoundrel in the in that time. Hmm. And anyway, there's like a scene in it where there there's just like a fight breaking out in in or like around a graveyard uh, by a church, and. <laughs> Suddenly, people are just like you see people holding a bone and a skull and like knocking each other about with it. And it's like that's like what this song is like, where it's just like there's a graveyard, so surely then there's people just holding bones and skulls. It's right. just like all these uh, ideas of like th- these archetypes of like of in this case like the Frankenstein thing. He just ch- fills it chock full of everything in like the memory bank of. Right. of of that and that's how a lot of these later songs feel it's like there he has a, an idea for a song and then a large part of it is just like i'm gonna just fill this whole thing up with everything i can think of related to that theme right and that's like also on uh key west is like that too. right well they, i mean they work on multiple levels is is i think the brilliance like there is this very like base simple like textual level like you know my own version of you yes like you know he's literally building a frankenstein's monster uh but then you know when you think about it's bob that's writing this song especially at this point in his time like you know and and this metaphor for the way that he has like constructed his own songs in the past you know kind of ripping 
uh, bits and pieces from all of his different influences and then kind of combining them together and passing them off as his own creation, even though, you know, it might belong more to, to somebody X. else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. song feels like it's about him writing songs. Nice. That's exactly yeah. what it's about. But it also works on this just like spooky ghoul, you know, um, well, it's uh, Vincent Price level. It's interesting that he casts it, he chooses to cast that as this. Like, this song feels like it's about his creative uh, process. Exactly. And it's it's really kind of heady when you think about it yeah, like I mean, it's it's and it's the same thing as it is on uh, like rubicon for instance or like um uh i contain multitudes where like it's, it's yeah, this yeah. like All very basic references. like very simple like no he does contain multitudes it's true but then there's also this like much like grander broader headier um, meaning that it also delivers on and so like as as simple and straightforward as some of the lyrics are on some of these songs, which is sort of characteristic of, of Latter-day Bob, you know, writing, the fact that they're able to work kind of in a two-dimensional plane, but also like a four-dimensional yeah, plane, they, if that they makes do. sense. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's fast, it's endlessly fascinating. And that's another song that, I mean, yeah, the more I think about it, it's like, that's, that song has grown in my, in my view as well. I mean, there's that one line in it where he's like, you know what I'm, what does he say? You know what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. What is what does he lead up to that with that line? Because mm. I remember feeling like, oh, this that's that's a profound little moment that's in the a song. Good question. Because uh. there's so there's so many times when all throughout rough and rowdy ways that seem to be like self-referential on a on a spiritual like on a deep psychic level for Bob Dylan. I'm going to bring someone to life, someone I've never seen. You know what I mean. Yeah. You know exactly what I mean. Like, who's the you in that? And who's, and you, what is he, like, there's something about that that seems kind of really portentous. Like, you know what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. That I'm going to bring someone to life that I've never seen. No. It's a good song. I love that song. He's talking about you and me. You, that we know what he means. We, we, he, he thinks that we know he, he thinks we know what, what he means. We know we know what he means. We know exactly what he we means. We know exactly. I mean, there's so, so much there. Um, Key West. Key West was kind I, of weird, wasn't I it? I loved it. I mean, it was good. I thought it was incredible. That, cause, so that's been... We, Ray mentioned this when he was on a couple weeks ago. Like, when he saw it... What did he say? The first night, it was like spellbinding. And then the second night, it was like sort of a slog. Yeah. For me, this was spellbinding. Um, I, and it seems like that's kind of, it, it, it's kind of going in and out and like there's also like different interpretations of the song that are kind of going in and out like some nights some nights they play the accordion some nights they don't have the accordion some nights it's like half the accord like it it, 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 it seems like it's still in the process of becoming basically um, but for me tonight full accordion all the way through I thought it was just absolutely arresting. That's like one of my favorite songs on the record. I, yeah, I, keep I mean, well, everybody, favorite everybody's favorite every song, song, Key West, um, on that record. Um, and there you go again with Key West, like a song that has all these flowers in it. If you notice, like all the different flowers and vino pl- blooming. Yeah, and the poisonous plants, mm-hmm. and like there's so many, uh, so many floral motifs in the song. It's like. In instead of a, spring. instead of a, winter here is an unknown thing. Arms and legs and uh, and souls contained in uh, beakers or whatever, like in uh, my own version of you. It it has that. It it's like each song's like an I Spy book, you know. Hmm. Fully, sure. 
<laughs> all of these weird little doodads. Right. And the Key West one, of course, is is cool. Yeah, it's, it's got like pirates and writers and and typewriters and plants and flowers. Ginsburg, Corso, Kerouac. Yeah, the horizon, the radio. McKinley. What is it about McKinley? And I think he had a house down there. President McKinley. And it's um, about McKinley's death. He's dying. Yeah, I think he died down there at like his estate or whatever. Um, amazing song. I, like it. It 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 is kind of serving the purpose, sort of like, like taking the place of Marnabas Fell. I think in that, like it's the super long extended, kind of crazy virtuosic performance that he's bringing from the record. Because I I honestly don't think that he really could play Marnabas Fell. No. Um, Especially, especially, because we should mention this, I guess maybe this is the right time to talk about it, just since it's coming up. His piano playing um, is not very good, no. <laughs> technically speaking, not but, technically. but, but is perfect for what this, the, the show requires. I think the band is so, um, they're um, so flexible, they're flexible and they are, uh, reserved, um, and, um, I think they do a really good job of putting, like, foisting the spotlight, like, focusing the spotlight on Bob. Um, and, uh, and they, I've, you know, been following along a bunch of these, like, threads and stuff on Expecting Rain, waiting for this show to, to arrive. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion about, like, you know, Charlie Sexton isn't here anymore, the guitar playing is not as dynamic as it used to be in the past, it, you know, they're still kind of working their way together. It's, it's sort of a, you know, they, they're, they're not... Um, they're not what they were a couple years ago. Things aren't what they were, to quote Bob. Um, but I, to me, I thought the band did exactly what they needed to do, which was just kind of, like, chill and, like, just do their thing. They, they sound technically, like, pretty perfect. Um, Charlie Drake on the drums, fantastic. Um, and Tony, obviously, is killing it but between the stand-up bass and uh, the electric bass. Uh, he's switching back and forth all the time. Um, but... Um, yeah, Bob's piano playing, I think, like, exists kind of on top of all of that as this sort of, like, messy, um, hot, uh, human kind of tone to all the music, um, or, or it adds all of those tones to the music that is itself, the music in general from the band, very cool, glassy, technically perfect kind of, you yeah, observe it at a distance. Like you, a need this, you need this kind of wire, yeah. exactly. it, it, it reminds me of when Marky Smith of The Fall would, like, he was, you know, infamous for kind of futzing around and fucking around with, um, with like the synths or like the knobs on the amps. Right. Like he would just wander around the stage, like chain turning up stuff and turning stuff down. Like have like two or three microphones in his hands. Right. Like some hooked up to other things. Bob, and it, it, I, I actually, I'm seeing this like mental and like Bob does have this kind of like gremlin like yeah, presence yeah. on the stage just like Marky Smith did oh for... a, a gremlin because he uh, uh, is uh, Jewish is he Jewish Marky Bob Smith Dylan? oh no no, I'm <laughs> I'm kidding. Kidding. no Mark, is Marky Smith Jewish no <laughs> Marky Smith is, was not Jewish <laughs> but I can imagine Jewish Marky Jewish Smith. Jewish Smith. There's a that's a character you can work on for the next episode. <laughs> Jewish Marky Smith. <laughs> that's Bob Dylan. 
Right, that's a good point. Marky Smith is Jewish. <laughs> or Jewish Bob Dylan. Jewish Marky Smith is just Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan is Jewish Marky Smith, that's uh-huh. right. Uh, yeah. Which, or he, instead of, um, like, doing that stuff, he's he's just, like, playing stuff on the piano that has no business to be played. Being played, yes. It's very just kind of like my first my first piano kind of playing just like bomb 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 just plunking yeah. away but it like i said it, it but what's your point music. about murder most foul is that that song is well, so... But so yeah so that like because that song is so that, that's just a piano song that's it that like there is no music beyond well, that wasn't it uh uh who who played the piano i forget who played it there's a did like Joanna Newsom play the piano or something like that? There were three people. Yeah. There are three separate piano tracks on that that all kind of float it, in now. Was it not? Was it Fiona Apple? Maybe it's Fiona Apple. I, yeah, I get them like confused that. sometimes. Yeah, although I can't blame it. Joanna Newsom has that voice. Yeah, the little yeah wood nymph voice. Um, anyways, there isn't like a firm kind of song musically speaking in Murder Most Foul that the band can play. Um, yeah, what the hell would they do to, to play that? It would that? just be Bob, and Bob can't play that song. Well, it, no, it would have to be... Right yeah, it would have to, it'd have to be somebody else playing piano. Right. And then what, Bob's going to stand there and re- recite the whole song? Yeah. Like, he would have to be actively reading it. I don't think it's... I, I don't think... It, at least on this leg of the tour, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe next year or the year after, you know... I would pay good there. money to go to a show where there's nothing but Murder Most Foul, and... And like an orchestra, right? Yeah, just an extended like sixty minute version of him riffing. I don't, I don't riffing. care if he reads it. He you can know? just riff on albums and songs that he likes once he gets to the end of it. Oh yeah, because that's all that song is. Well, is but it? the end of it, I mean, you know, he, no, that that I don't want to get too much into Murmur's foul, but that whole part I think is just as thoughtful. As we're the rest almost, of it. Uh, we're almost to the anniversary once again. Eleven twenty two sixty. You mean two years? Uh, no, 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 of the assassination. Today's 11.20, I guess, uh, by the time, well, the day this comes out, in fact. Oh, really? Is the, you know, so happy, uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy by the CIA and, um, you know, the Cuban exiles. Everyone happy. There. Uh, it wasn't, sure. it wasn't happy, it was the, it was a bad thing. So, have, have fun at your celebrations today in your little pink, uh, Jackie O outfits with the red blood splatter on the head. My, my ex-girlfriend did, um did that for Halloween once, like, really accurate, like, Jackie O with blood all over her. Wow. Well, that's, that's commitment to the bit. Yeah, that was, um, it was, yeah, that's a bit. Okay. That's a bit that you could do. Um, uh, Murder Most Foul, not gonna be played. We love it. Key West, uh, was played. We also love it. Um. And ex-girlfriend, I should say. Sure. <laughs> um, I think I know the one. Um, I love Key West. I don't know what to say. Key West I like is that. a place to be. You if know, you're looking for any more talent. You know what I think is Key West has usurped Mozambique as the <laughs> as the Bob Dylan uh, version of Super Mario Sunshine. Right. The Trump. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, of course. Of That's course. why people like it so much. Right. Bob Dylan's version, you know, Super Mario Sunshine, where where, where Mario visits the uh, beautiful island, uh, Del- Isle Delfino, Delfino, and he cleans up that island 
all and that, it's and you see paint. you're seeing Mario in a setting that is unfamiliar. You know, you're not used to. You're seeing you used to seeing him in the Mushroom Kingdom, and that's you know we're used to seeing Bob sort of in the Mushroom Kingdom, mm-hmm. the, the Big Apple in New York, sort of thinking of him Home on of the Fifth Avenue on the, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, um, <laughs> right, Wall don't, Street. Don't interrupt me. Uh, and we're used to seeing him and thinking of him that way. Uh, we're not used to seeing him on uh, Isle Delfino from Super Mario Sunshine. Key West is kind of like that. Yes. But to go on with your train of thought here, apparently last night, the the, the night before this show, he said, um, he said like, the Statue of Liberty, happy to be back in the Big Apple, the Statue of Liberty, New York, uh, or he said uh, the, the Empire the State Building, yeah. the, Wall Street, Wall Street, Fifth yeah. Avenue. He said of all, a bunch of locations, and then was like happy to see it coming back to life. Yes, that was uh, that was some inside gossip from friend of the pod Harry Hugh, who we met tonight. Actually. Yeah, we met Harry Hugh in and person. Thank you. Anyway, if anyone is listening to this and was someone who uh, came up and said hello, thank you all for coming up and uh, saying hi. It was quite pleasant to meet all of you. Uh, and uh, we're glad that there are actual human beings behind the Twitter and Instagram accounts that uh, constantly uh, tell us how stupid we are uh, and that Evan uh, no, they don't say that. hates uh, uh, New Morning too much. Um, gotta serve somebody. That was a highlight. I think everybody liked it. And Everyone that cool, it. there's a, that one got a standing ovation. Did you know? Notice? I did, because it was so energetic and like kind of raved up and like bluesy rock and roll. Like and there it, was a cool was, ass like that guitar was a, lick that exactly. they kept. There were moments like I wish I had been able to note them more solidly in my mind, but there were moments where like, oh wow, they like did something interesting with the arrangement. Right. Where, wasn't there like an early one where it was like, whoa, what are they doing here? It, I, it only I, happened like one time in yeah. an early, what was it? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, to, I mean, I, I think it was, it was probably... Like the second song? Yeah, it might have been Most Likely You Go Your Way. And I'll yeah, it was. It was Most Likely You Go Your Way. It was like, this. it just kind of went into that abstracted, like floaty thing. Right. And then back. Yeah. That that's always a kick, you know, when that happens. It was funny to hear Bob do his Bob thing, singing and listening to all of this. I I have just been rereading Chronicles again, and I'm I'm in the Oh Mercy section right now, oh, where he's yeah. talking about like this like new philosophy of singing that he's developed all of a sudden, where it's like based on a different right. Kind of, it's based on numericals, yeah, twos. yeah. Where like and what was the two? Yeah. <laughs> So I'm just thinking of Bob up there on the stage tonight. Like, it's threes. It's all about it's threes. threes. It's all threes. It's not twos. It's threes. Um, um, that, speaking of uh, that song of uh, Gotta Serve Somebody, I still think that one lyric change, which we've talked about on the show before, is like quietly one of... It's honestly one of my favorite lyrics, like lyric changes ever. In that song when he says, you might not, like, you might not even, they might call you nothing, or, like, you might not even have a name. Mm-hmm. Still, you gotta be, serve somebody. Gotta serve somebody. Because it's like saying, as I've said before, I think, it's like, you could be, literally be raised by wolves and not know how to speak. And it's still, the song is saying, like, you still are gonna be a good or a bad to the world. You gotta serve somebody. Like, you can be, uh, just by virtue of being a human being, by being, like, conscious. 
doesn't matter if you even know English or have a or have object permanence like you have <laughs> you are gonna be on the good or the bad side and uh you gotta surf it's not up to you like you it, it, it's very profound as like even though it seems just kind of like it might have been just written down in two seconds right it's like a, well what else can i say yeah yeah it definitely doesn't have the like the christian kind of tint to it no but it has right this now. other thing which like like i keep yeah, coming is... back to this like spiritual heft which i think the closer kind of points to like sure. bob is interested in that stuff now sure. like it, it's not christian but it is spiritual like he has which i think speaks of... to the underlying strength of that whole period as just you know many many years after the fact i know all that stuff's been reclaimed already and you know uh, what the christian stuff yeah but just like you know the the like knee-jerk reaction against all of that material just because like oh bob dylan has gone christian all of a sudden we hate him he's stupid it was such like a, a facile like you know just like shitty way of looking at it because some of these songs have lived on for 40 years at this point and become some of the most meaningful weighty um parts of his catalog divorced of any sort of like explicitly evangelical kind of meaning or, or context to them it's more like pagan or something now yeah, yeah. it's just kind of like yeah. spiritual is the spiritual you know, is the word. i'm a i'm a spiritual it was cool also man. to hear gotta serve somebody because that was the one like i think that was like the main moment when the band gets to like cut loose a little bit and really kind of you know rave rave them up out there rave them up um rave up Rave him up. Rave him up, yeah. Rave up John. Rave on. Rave on but, John. Um, search somebody, made myself, uh, excuse me, made up my mind to give myself to you. We talked about it a little already. Bob flubbed a couple of lines. It didn't, yeah, it didn't wow me. Yeah, he fucked it up. Me. He fucked it the, up. This one, like, I wanted to be wowed by it. It did not wow me. No, it just felt like he was a little off balance. The man's fucking 80 years yeah, old. he's 80 years old. And you just gotta be honest about, like, some night. I I think just, like, some nights he's gonna have it and some nights he's gonna be thrown off yeah. a little bit. Like, yeah. I, I'm very sympathetic to that and I, I understand think even song like, to song like yeah. he's gonna have it on some songs but he's gonna you, not have it on other songs did you notice that like where Melancholy Mood came which was right after this right uh yes it was like Melancholy Mood was like him kind of being like ah I fucked it up and then and then it's like kind of perfect because right. it was like a song about how like everything sucks yeah, he and he kind of worked through it and then what happened after Melancholy Mood Mother Muses right so like this is the kind of Stuff like that. When I say my feelings about the show are complex, it's like it's because these things happen that are complex. Like him fucking up, uh, made up my mind, which you know should have been a a, a more glorious moment in the show. Right. Then he has melancholy mood, which is kind of like a weird filler, but not song. Like a, it's a moment where it, I thought it worked, but it felt like okay, it's him getting himself back together, mm -hmm. and then he kicks ass with the next one. Right. And it's just like, uh, this is Jewish Bob, D uh, this is Jewish, Jewish Bob. this Smith. is Jewish Marky Smith, uh, you know, kind of like in real time, just like going through phases and eras of his every five seconds, sure. like uh, his mood, his, his multitudes are showing. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I agree with all that. I, you know, even, even the moments where he flubs something or, you know, kind of fucks up, like, I still appreciate those and I don't have, like, 
I still, I, like, I don't have conflicted feelings about those. I, you know, Bob is, Bob is Bob, Bob is 80 years old, you know, and, like, you know, this is what happens with live music for anyone, much less, you know, an 80-year-old man. Um, so we, uh, you know, we, we, we take him as he is. Um, it's all part of the, you know, it's all part of the, 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 the plan, all part of the chain. Um, Jimmy Reed, last song before the introductions, it's kind of the, you know, like other default bluesy rock and roll number that the band and Bob gets to play. It, it was a nice kind of like, um, way to re-energize the crowd, I would say, towards the end. Um, sort of taking the place of something like Honest With Me, um, or the original version of, uh, Early Roman Kings, for that matter, um, as like, you know, just sort of blues, 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 everyone having fun. Um, it's, it's a crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser. Crowd pleaser. Yeah, exactly. It's great cloud, lines. Cloud, cloud pleaser. Cloud pleaser. Yeah. Uh, it's a good song. It's a good song. And uh, then, the piece de resistance. Yes. Introduces the band. Did he, though? <laughs> did he say everyone's name? I don't uh, think he did. No, he didn't, did he? He didn't no. introduce yeah, the he band. he just said, like, He said, hi. like, uh, on behalf of the band. Right. We're uh, really happy to be back. Happy to be back. Uh, uh, he said, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. He said, thank you pretty loudly and clearly. Yep. Humphrey Bogart. Someone in the middle that might have been Doug Yule, but probably wasn't. That's what it sounded like, but I was like, what? Al Capone. Um, And then, uh, as as everyone knows at this point, uh, he's ending all of these shows with Every Grain of Sand. Every Grain of Sand. And you had not heard this version of E-G-S. E-G-O-S. Yes, E-G-O-S. Every Grain of Sand. Every Grain of Sand. (laughs) What did you think of this version of Every I, Grain of Sand? I thought it was fantastic. Um, it, it, it's, it's um, you know, it, it fits right in, I think, with... It, it actually kind of, like, was a nice middle balance between, like, it didn't have the, like, really light, um, fluffy feel of, like, the old, old songs that, you know, he kind of... No, that's what I'm filler. saying. But, he, but it also, like, didn't have the, like... It, like it, I think it mixed actually like the 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 rough and rowdy ways feeling and mood and vibe with the older lighter fluffier vibe really well. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I feel like he's in the process of finding this new balance, and while it doesn't wow me on stuff like as earlier we talked about with a uh, uh, with when I paint my masterpiece. Like, I don't know, sometimes it's it's just, like, t- a little too sweet, a little too sour. Like, it doesn't always work. But on this, it's, like, this is what he's trying to do. And right. when it works, it's, like, actually, I think, kind of creating a new flavor, a new a new sound, a new feeling sure. that he has not accessed before. Yeah. And this song, like, it's... This version of Every Grain of Sand sounds unlike anything... That we've heard before, I mm-hmm. think, which is kind of saying something. Yep. And it has the the sort of plunk, the sort of staccato, like almost childish feeling, mm-hmm. which does nothing to take away from the the beauty of the song, and actually just adds like a new, an interesting new way to to understand and hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's not very like 
complex song, complex, I did like, you know, every, every hair is numbered, like every grain of sand, like you, you kind of get that after you hear it a couple times. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know, it, I, I think there's, there is something just very kind of meaningful and significant about Bob deciding that like, this is, this is the song that he wants to bring back into the the oeuvre right now and like you know reintroduce to everyone because I mean we sort of take it for granted because we've spent the last 18 months just like banging our head against a wall and giving ourselves brain damage listening to every single version of every single song that he's ever recorded so of course every grain of sand is you know a, a highlighter in our minds but a lot of people even those folks who might be coming to this show interested in hearing the the Rough and Rowdy Ways material like you know, maybe they haven't heard this song in a long time, or maybe they've only heard it a couple times at all, and, you know, it isn't, you know, maybe they're not big Shot of Love people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... It's crazy that's on Shot of Love. Shot of Love, I last mean, song on there. There it is. There it is, yeah. He, he, this this, this uh, set contained um, material from um, uh, Blonde on Blonde, uh, uh, John Wesley Harding, um, uh, Nashville Skyline, um unreleased demos between Masterpiece and Riverflow. Um, and then it jumped all the way to Tempest, uh, then Fallen Angels and uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways with one minor pit stop at Shot of Love there at the very end. That's an incredible, incredible choice of places to focus on. Um, it, anyways, I, I just, I think it's a significant, like, kind of choice of Bob's to decide that this is the song to bring forward into, into time today, at this moment, um, in his career, in his life, in the world's, you know, kind of everything that's going on. It's just, you know, it's, it's such a powerful, easy to understand, simple, straightforward sentiment song, but like it, that, that simplicity and, and, um, and, uh, only adds to its strength. Did you notice that he changed? He said, "Perfect finished plan" instead of mm-hmm. uh, "Reality of Man" yeah. this time. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the the demo version. Yeah, of the lyric. Yeah, he, would, he agrees with us. It's that's, that's the right version. No, I think "Reality of Man" is. I think I said that "Reality of Man" is better. Yes, I think you have said that. But "Perfect Finished Plan." It's just interesting that he did that this I time. I like "Perfect Finished Plan." I think I, I'm okay. I like that. That's return made a bit of a return. Yeah. There's another moment where he did a, a version. He started saying a lyric that was an old, a, a one that he doesn't do anymore. It was during when I paint my masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, about the lions, right? He, the Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of dodging lions, wasting time. It was right. dodging lions with a mean, and he started saying wasting time, and then caught himself and said. With a mean and fearsome look, or whatever that other lyric is, Isaac, so that he could do, I could read their faces like a book, whereas normal in the original, it's just like a funny little Easter egg to hear him. That makes sense. <laughs> do a lyric that like start to do one that he's now decided it's not. Like, it's no longer. It's not cool anymore. It's right. not hot. Right. Not that one. It's not hot to say uh, reality of man. You know what's hot? Perfect finished plan. Perfect finished plan. And that's Bob Dylan's Hot or Not. <laughs> I think you made the right choice there. Um, How many stars do you give? Three, three stars. stars. Three stars. I agree. Three, <laughs> I give it also three stars. Because 
listen, folks, we talked about this at dinner at PJ Clark's before we went to uh, the show, but uh, we really need to stress that the three-star system is based upon the Michelin guide system, where you can have a great, great restaurant that does not have any stars. It's true. To get one means you're already excellent. So, that what need I say more? You're you're gonna be happy with it, whatever you get. And when you get three, we're giving three because this is even the 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 single most simple most even the confused mixed up part of of a Bob Dylan song where live it doesn't work tonight. Guess what? It's gonna work tomorrow or. It, or something else will shine so bright that you don't give a shit about the thing that didn't work tonight. Like, as long as the man is alive, uh, he's going to be making delicious sauces and soups and salads. Exactly. <laughs> All of the above. It's like a line cook. Uh, it's Bob Dylan and his band live and show in concert, folks. What more do you want? Maybe we can add in a, a little addendum after we record this. Like, tomorrow I could I could record a little bit and send it to you. Mm-hmm. We can tack that on, and then, uh, or the next day, or whatever. Sure. Just so we have, like, what's the next day perspective? Sure. Until next time, thanks for bearing with our uh, re- travel style sound. Out, we're living out of a suitcase at Ian's hotel room. I mean, at the Abernathy building. Yeah, I gotta go to bed. Joke of it. Hello, Miss Pearl. My